Thanks so much, Rachel. Well, I'm going to invite you this morning to grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Would you do that? Luke chapter number 2. A Bible in Luke chapter number 2. Appreciate what Randy was, his words of encouragement a few moments ago. Our church family have two big challenges in December financially. Each year we uh, try to do our very best financially to help almost 5,000 foreign missionaries. Our churches are not compelled to give. We desire to give with all the other Southern Baptist churches across the world. And we come together in the uh, incredible offering gathering in December and uh, put all of those funds uh, into one offering that is divided up to help support, I think it was 4,860 some odd uh, foreign missionaries and their families. And, uh, and it, we just, uh, that's under an umbrella of an incredible missionary years ago named Lottie Moon was her name. And uh, we give generously to that every December and really even in the first couple weeks of January. So I want to encourage you, if God lays on your heart, to give to that, but also to our operating budget. Uh, we lost about 13% of our annual income uh, about 14 or 15 months ago. It wasn't like it was attrition. It just happened uh, over several months. It Budget and finance was showing me a chart graph the other day. Uh, Americans, when everything shut down during uh, the pandemic, for the first uh, five or six months in terms of church life, and it, you can ask First Presbyterian in Longview or First United Methodist or other churches here in town, and they'll give you a similar chart and story. Americans, uh, I think, thought that this pandemic was going to be a short-lived thing. And so you saw church members, when they, the government said, you can't go to church, rise up. And many of them mailed offerings in or they came by. We had to put up a special mailbox out under our portico. People were literally driving through when the church was closed, dropping offering off to be sure that our church continued to pay our ongoing bills and all those kind of things. But after about five months, when the church resumed meeting and a lot of people did not come back, you saw a dramatic shift in giving. And that giving has not come back. In fact, uh, our budget and finance has even been consulting with some medical professionals trying to figure out what this newest variant is going to do. I mean, that's how tenuous trying to plan a budget is. We just have no idea where, where we're going this year. And so uh, one thing we do know is Randy uh, shared with us, we've got to have a great finish to this year and a great start to next year. And so many of you received the end of the year giving letter. And uh, these, these are important days, these next few weeks to us financially. So just want to encourage you and just appreciate Randy. Uh, you know, uh, budget and finance says, hey, we don't want to share. We don't want to speak. And Randy says, I'll get up there and share. It's like, I'm not a professional speaker. And I said, Randy, I'm not a professional speaker either, you know. But uh, man, don't you just appreciate his heart? And uh, for you that don't know it, uh, they have a very special son, Ian, who has some special needs. And as I see he and his family caring for Ian, Ian I, I just wish you could, could see that. It just tells you really the inner character of, of who he is. I jotted him a note several months ago and just told him how much I appreciated him uh, because he is one of those guys in our church that has the real genuine heart. 
He is the real deal. Luke chapter 2, and uh, let's begin reading some very familiar verses. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Here's what God's Word says. We'll just read the first seven verses. Uh, they, They are the essence of the Christmas story, aren't they? And the Bible says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken uh, of the entire Roman world. And of course, some of you have an annotation here, like some kind of punctuation, uh, as in kind of a historical note behind it. It says in verse 2, this is the very first census that took place while Quirinius, the governor, um, uh, was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged in the house, or the lineage, if you will, of David. And uh, when he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, he was expecting a child. And while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born. (laughs) There's not a lot of interrupting that, is there? Amen? And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. I'm so thankful for what Rachel's words just a moment ago as she was introducing that incredible song that she just sang for us. And uh, she just made the statement, did you, did you catch it when she uttered those words? Maybe this Christmas things don't look like maybe you are expecting them to look, or maybe they're not turning out the way you thought things would be turning out. And today, I just want to throw on the brakes, because these next two weeks, things are really going to heat up, and this is probably the best Sunday to have a heart-to-heart talk to you about something that's kind of a reminder. When you and I drive around Longview, it only takes just a few minutes to get frustrated at the traffic lines everywhere we go. Can I hear an Amen. I mean, what happened to our quiet, lazy town in the month of December? I'll tell you what it is. It's these Harleton people coming down here and shopping. It's these Winona people coming over here. I mean, you, I mean, you can recognize them. They got their Winona Wildcat shirt on, and they're in Canes like it's the nicest restaurant anywhere in the country. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can spot them, but all of a sudden, the loop is crowded, and it's 25 cars deep at every... I mean, you can't even get in the parking lot at Best Buy, and the list goes on and on of challenges that we start to have. It just takes longer to get around. We, we, we find out very quickly we've got to be more and more patient And then if you couple that with the normal rush of things around Christmas in these crazy uncertain times that we live, last Christmas and really this Christmas as well, they aren't the normal. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, we are living in some strange, crazy days. And I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to make any firm plans around the word maybe. Maybe they'll be open. Or here's the buzzword of the day, maybe we can get that in, we're out of stock. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's too much to ask for toilet paper to be at the store, for chicken broth to be on the shelf. Suddenly, you and I are faced with some of the most incredible, unexpected things, things that we're not accustomed to dealing with. And so I think it's a good thing today for you and for me to kind of huddle up, spend a little time spiritually 
understanding a very important word that we want to deal with today. And it is the optimum word out of the Christmas story. It is this word, inconvenience. You and I are facing many more inconveniences than we've ever faced before. We are totally encompassed and surrounded by them. And I want you to jot down with me today just three categories. We'll just mention them. It'll just take four or five minutes to walk through these three. I just want to mention them to you because I think they're important out of the Christmas story. And they're important also because they resonate with the very elements that you and I are facing in this Christmas, in these holidays, in the year 20. 21. I want you to go back to the text with me. Luke chapter 2 and notice about the inconvenient timing that we are quickly made aware of that Mary and Joseph were facing. Now if you go back and look at the text, in fact scan down to verse number 4. The Bible says, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea and Bethlehem because they belonged to the to this particular lineage, the lineage of David. You had to register in your hometown where your family was from, if you will. And then look in verse five, they came there to register and all of a sudden, the one that he was pledged to be married with was with him, Mary was with him. They were expecting a, time, a, a child, but it's, it's the essence of where they had to go and the circumstance that, were in, that, that, that they were in. In fact, 70 miles of circumstances. I think it was 71.2 miles GPS in today's time, center to center, uh, center to center, center to center. There you go, center to center from uh, from from Nazareth to uh, Galilee or or, or to Bethlehem, just a little over 70 miles. Now we don't know for sure whether Mary rode or rode part of the way or walked the entire way, but as we mentioned last week, hey. 70 miles pregnant on a donkey or 70 miles walking on foot is a challenge. Can I hear an amen to that? Now just think about that for a moment. Let that soak and simmer for just a moment as you process that. I mean, either one of these is wildly inconvenient. Have you ever stopped to think that when Jesus was born, he just kind of inherited He just kind of had to slip in and slide into all of the inconveniences as he entered this world in a human physical way. He didn't have a lot to say about that. I mean, mean, yes, he was God, but when he entered the world physically, he also took on the full embodiment of humanity. And as we think about this, this was terribly inconvenient timing. And we put our thinking caps on and asked the question, what was Joseph thinking? What was that dude thinking to try to make such a trip at such a time, and we were quickly reminded it wasn't Joseph at all, was it? In fact, it leads us to this second very important inconvenience, not just the inconvenient timing, but jot this down, inconvenient decisions that were before him. There were these uh, inconvenient decisions. Look back in verse number one. In those days, Caesar Augustus, there's the culprit. All of a sudden, the Roman Empire of all things, did not think about a small Jewish teenage girl that was pregnant. They were much more concerned about full taxation. And in order to get everyone taxed properly, you need to have a head count. 
It was the forerunner of something of three initials that we know all too well in our country, IRS. I mean, it was the the government at its best. And nothing could have been more inconvenient in terms of a decision that was made, carried out on Mary and Joseph. It was a horrible time for them to travel. Maybe they were just too young and innocent to even think about all the implications of traveling at such a time. But regardless, if they did think about them or not think about them, they had no choice. They would have been incarcerated. They would have been placed in chains. And so off they went to register for the census. And you know, you think about it, and that's kind of where we are as a country. That's where we are as citizens. I mean, it's been a long time in American history, maybe all the way back to 1941, 1945, in the end or through the duration of the Second World War, that Americans have had so many situations where people made decisions for us and we really didn't have any choice in it. Decisions that may or may not have took into consideration where they were inconvenient for us. I mean, a company saying, like Texas Eastman, hey, you shall worketh, but you won't worketh here. You shall worketh at home. And then all of a sudden, maybe Eastman's saying, hey, you shall worketh out at the plant. Or all of a sudden, someone telling you, you must weareth a mask. Or a university all of a sudden saying, no classes on campus. If you want to continue your, higher, your, your, your series of classes of higher education, you'll do that online and online exclusively. It's kind of like, well, that's not my best learning style. Who cares? The decision is made for you. What about those moments when we get those calls from medical professionals that say, no more elective surgery. You can't have surgery right now. Why not? I have the funding for it. Because we're not allowed to let you have the surgery. And over these last 18, 19, 20 months, our lives have been filled with outside inconveniences. Decisions that affect us, that in most cases we have no voice in sharing. And I just remind you, this Christmas, as we gear our hearts up and prepare spiritually, here is a young couple that provide an incredible example for us of individuals that had decisions made for them that they had no voice in. Verse one tells us very clearly, and Caesar Augustus. What do you mean? We've got to travel now? Absolutely. This census must be done. But my wife is pregnant. Well, she'll have to be pregnant on the way down the register. And so there we have it these inconveniences piling up of the Christmas story, inconvenient timing, inconvenient decisions. But also a third one I just want you to think about with me is in the the inconvenient space that they were in, the inconvenient space. In fact, when you look down there at the end of verse number seven, listen to what God's word says. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a box. She placed him in a manger, a stable, if you will, a lean-to, an animal hut. 
And you know, every time we read that, we ought to be reminded that you and I, as we walk in to the Christmas season, it's not that far from the very first Christmas season that we ever have recorded for us in the, as the gospel writers recorded it. Our Lord and Savior was born into a whole culture and climate and chaos of nothing more than inconveniences. One right after another. Of all the places to place a baby, I mean, that's not a clean place. That's not a proper place. That's not a right place. But think about the inconvenience, the inconvenience that that had. And you and I experienced those. We mentioned them a moment ago. Travel and parking places and the hustle and bustle. Airfare and air, air travel. Those moments when we get the word, yes, we can get you to Chicago on time, but there's only middle seats left. Are you kidding me? I hate middle seats. And then you get on the plane and not only is it a middle seat, but it's between two incredibly large people. And it doesn't stop there. It's in the back of the plane. And our lives begin this time of the year over and over again to stack up and smell of inconveniences. So what a great time for us to talk about that together. As we walk into this season to experience his love and his hope and his blessing, we too are experiencing some inconvenience of timing and decisions made on our behalf and space challenges. And I just remind you, we've gotta do a great job of focusing on, on, on what we can control and not on what we cannot control. I remind you as we walk into this Christmas season, we've got to realize that adversity, it doesn't bog us down, but it's there and intended to teach us something. I remind you that our number one challenge in this sacred season is that our focus should be on connection. Connection with our Savior, connection with our family and friends. That's one of the buzzwords that I heard all the way through the years growing up. My grandparents used to share this, and I'm being transparent with you. It meant absolutely nothing to me. And then my parents began sharing this, and it meant nothing to me. But I know no one else will confess this today, but I'm sure I'm the only one in here that has ever experienced life where everyone around us kept saying something that we thought was so foolish, only to realize later in life how smart they really were. But for me, they kept saying, it doesn't matter where we have Christmas, the important thing is that we're together. It doesn't matter how many gifts we have under the tree. The important thing is that we are together. And so I just want to encourage you when it comes to the inconveniences and the stressors of Christmas. Inconvenience is really something that we ought to be able to make the best of these detours and interruptions and be able to turn some adversity into some advantage. I've got to confess something to you. And, and two of the guys, I'll just be honest, are in this room. But I've got four men that I love very dearly in our church. Love more of our guys than that. But these four, I really, man, they're amazing. But I think uh, I'm seeing the light now that they've come together. And I see, what would be the East Texas term for this? They're, um, well, 
let's be a little more sacred here. They're giving me a hard time. It's become obvious to me that these four have put their heads together and they have worked out this scheme. One of the things that I do, uh, and I do it way too often, but I can't help it, is I will share with you from time to time about something that God has done in my heart, in my life, when it comes to my devotional life. I believe very firmly, because it just made a huge difference in my life, sometime every day, most of the time in the mornings, I'm gonna have a devotional time. And it's been a life changer for me. I mean, it started out just two or three minutes with a golf devotional book of all things by Tom Lehman. And uh, I was reading that devotional book and then I got to the end of it and I had done it so long, it kind of became a habit. And that habit has started to feed my soul. I bet now I've used maybe 50, 55 different devotional books some, sometimes I'll use them in conjunction with one another, but I'll go through one, I'll be looking for another. And I, we, we've never lived in a society where we have so many options. If you're a sports person, there's some, I just encourage you, if you're a history buff, there's great devotionals. I just encourage you, if you could just take two minutes a day, a devotional time, just reading a short thing or just having a brief time of prayer, it can be a life changer. So I'll be preaching away or I'll make a note and uh, a notation. Hey, hey, do you remember a few weeks ago when you had this devotional? And I know I do it way too often. So I think what's happened is these four men have come together and they have kind of put their heads together. And so now all four of them are asking me every time they see me, hey, what was your devotional about? What was your devotional about? What was your devotional about? Well, when it first happened, when it started, I was really excited. Hey, my stories are making a difference. But now I know they're giving me a hard time. They are picking at me. They're teasing me. They're mocking me if you don't get the message. So you know what? Now knowing that, when they ask me, I am wearing them out. For 20 minutes, I go on about devotional. I make stuff up that doesn't even connect to the devotional because doggone it, I'm going to break their spirit for picking at me. Like I'll talk to them about eschatological views of the devotional for that particular day. And we'll talk, get off into Arminianism and Calvinism. And, and I, I, I can see they, they're trying to stay focused with me, but they're wondering, is this guy ever going to hush up? So just for these four men, three days ago, in my devotional life, I was really moved, all joking aside, because 61 years after our Lord came into this world, there was a man that had a remarkably marked life of change. I think you probably recognize his name. Originally it was Saul, later become Paul. And he's writing. And he gets to this moment in his writing that he's so moved about an event that happened, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, 60 plus years before the time that he was writing, 
that he, you can tell he has to spend immense time trying to think of a word to describe that incredible gift of the coming of the Lord Jesus in the flesh. Yeah, in that box, in the very midst of these inconveniences, Paul describes it. And then the English translators had to come up with a word, an English word. And by the way, it's the only time this word is used anywhere in the Greek New Testament. And it's the only time, it, I mean, it's not even mentioned. The word doesn't even exist in the Old Testament. It was a one-time used word that we look at now. You know the English word, indescribable. When Paul stood back in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, he uttered these words. He said, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And that's the, the best that Paul could come up with. That was the very best term that would go beyond and above any other word. I mean, when you stop and think about our Bibles, they, they have incredible historical moments in them. I mean, that moment when justice is done for a city that God continued to tell them, hey, this, this foolishness that's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, hey, there's something bad fixing to happen to you, dude, and dudettes. If you don't get this place cleaned up, I will. The Bible says the fire fell. Wow. You know, we could use a lot of words, but it wouldn't be indescribable. I would probably use the word frightening. Or that moment in our biblical text when this young shepherd boy picks up a sling and a rock, a stone of all things, and the Bible says he slung it and it pierced the very forehead of the Philistine giant. And we wouldn't use the word, hey, that was an indescribable moment. Maybe we would use a simple word like, hey, that was overwhelming, man. Or that moment that two million plus People were backed up against this huge body of water. The Egyptians were encroaching closer and closer and there was no way out. And all of a sudden, God parched the Red Sea. I mean, that wasn't, in biblical history, an indescribable moment, but it was a fantastic moment. Or when those several million came together to construct something in the middle of a desert called a tabernacle, a place of worship. I mean, that wasn't an indescribable event, but it was an amazing event. Or when Solomon opened up this huge, massive structure of Solomon's temple, we wouldn't say that it was indescribable, although it was in incredibly impressive. But when it comes to the birth of our Lord and Savior, even in the middle of inconveniences. Inconveniences of people telling us what we're gonna do and having no choice, of unusual spaces that we find ourselves in, and timing of things, and, and, and not having certain things in proper timing. In the midst of all those, Paul continues to utter the words, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What a great time for a reminder. 
as we inch ever more closely to Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, 2021. We know not what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for a few moments to spend in the Christmas story, the very first Christmas. Father, we just thank you for your incredible, amazing, fantastic, remarkable son. The Lord Jesus Christ that paid such an amazing price for us. And Father, if there could be just one word, we could do no better than the Apostle Paul did when he just used the word indescribable. You are an indescribable God coming in human form, the very flesh, an indescribable Savior. And Father, as we experience to the fullness this Christmas season, we pray that you would so deal with our hearts that connectivity might be our real focus. Connectivity with family and friends, but most importantly, connectivity with our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.